Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to Ransom Notes. Frank McKay here with Catherine Ransom, the author of Ransom Note, and she is she is wonderful. She is the uh, also the author of this podcast and uh, proud to be her co-pilot on this and you could see uh, Zoom versions of the podcast video they're like mini documentaries and you can now see her documentary all named Ransom Notes. She has a whole franchise of, of Ransom Notes and different ideas, and it's, uh, why not? Catherine Ransom is her name, and you know that, and, and subscribe to her newsletter, which is Ransom Notes as well. It's all Ransom Notes, and usually that's a, that's a bad thing, a Ransom Note. These are always good things. She's turned Ransom Notes into a good, positive feeling, and uh, again, nobody's holding anybody kidnapped or anything like that. It's all good, positive stuff. And she is a person of great faith and wonderful, very proud of it, and, uh, and, and speaks of it all the time. Catherine Ransom, how are you? I am just fine, Frank. I'm sitting here uh, on the edge of park uh, overlooking some beautiful trees. There's sort of semi-storm clouds coming in and the temperature is 86 but it's so much fun to watch the life in the fire in the park uh a, a father and three children dressed identically in little blue shorts white t-shirts are walking through the park it's sort of and you know what little ones do they dash over and pick up an acorn or chase a squirrel but it was just fun to see this family taking uh in god's world and in the distance i can see uh, young, healthy people playing tennis. I haven't done that for a long time, Frank. I have mm-hmm. to admit. Well, golf, it, golf, uh, golf a lot, but not uh, n- tennis. Uh, a little, little different. Little different game. I know. You have you have to run around and you have to pretend that you're young and be athletic. And golf, all you have to do is just swing the club and hope the ball doesn't go in the pond. <laughs> Well, listen, you're doing pretty good. Whatever you're doing, you, you've uh, you've defied the odds. You uh, you had open heart surgery not long ago, and and soon after that, you did all of these things: the documentary, you continued promoting the book, and and the radio show, and then an extended radio series, and then your own radio show. Uh, not bad. I think you've done pretty pretty well for someone who was under the knife just about a year ago, I guess, right? What what was the date on that? What was the date? Oh. It was, I think it was the end of uh, of May, right in there, somewhere, a year ago. So, a little so over it, yep, yep, just a little over the year. And I'm still breathing. Don't you think that's nice? And you know what? I found probably one of the reasons maybe I'm still breathing. Do you know what is a healthy food for someone that wants to take care of their heart? Uh, I should know this because I have five stents, but no, you tell us. Well, in our part of the world, there is this fruit that is ripe right now. And as I was sort of looking it up, I found that this fruit is healthy for your heart. It can promote hair loss. It can, and this one's really great, Frank, it can reverse old age. And probably what it's more well known for are antitox. uh antioxidants so now can you guess what fruit it might be blueberries you 
Got it. And our country up here in Illinois, this time of the year, we could find quite a few. And Saturday, we went, got up early Saturday morning and went out at a U-Pick and picked seven pounds of these berries and brought them back to our apartment in our new home. And then we shared them with some people who are wheelchairs or one person was almost blind and someone else is a single guy that lives across the hall that is sort of bashful. And it was so much fun to be out there in the open air picking blueberries and then having a chance to share them with friends. But it also conjured up memories because when I was growing up in Wisconsin part of my life, Mm-hmm. We would go out and pick wild blueberries that are hidden sort of in the bogs, whereas the ones we pick Saturday, you stand up and you sort of pull them off the vine or the branches like grapes off of a vine. And so it sort of conjured up all kinds of memories, both when I was a little kid and my dad would bring home wild blueberries when he'd be out working and he'd put them in his metal lunchbox and Mom would open it up when he got home, and there would be two or four or six handfuls of berries, and we all enjoyed them. And that's sort of the same thing we did the other day. So isn't that great that the Lord made those blueberries to help me be more healthy, younger, and and, and keep my hair? (laughs) Well, yeah, that, that last part, too, that's a surprise to me. But all the other things... I've heard about, but listen, that's wonderful. It's a wonderful uh, thought, and it sounds so peaceful. It sounds so, you know, I don't know, pure going out and picking wild blueberries. And I know, you know, like you, you know, you were more on a farm or whatever, but I'm thinking more when you're a child and you're picking, you're picking blueberries. You know, you know, one thing, and, and not to go off on this, but you mentioned blueberries. I had a detached retina once. I had a detached uh, retina, and it was terrible. Ooh, and, ooh, yes. And, and I told my wife, I'm craving nectarines. And I've never craved nectarines in my life. And and, <laughs> and, and I was laying flat on my stomach, and you had to do that for like six weeks. It, it's amazing. And you just have to get up to use the restroom. and and uh, and But you would literally lay flat on your stomach and with a patch on and then uh, and this whatever but i kept eating nectarines and then my wife looked up and she said that nectarines are are there for you to um it, you know it what it does for your body is it strengthens the socket of your eye or something like that it, it's like all of these things and i thought you know that's the lord sending me a message that's my body sending me a message of how to help heal myself and by the Isn't way my that, my eye is great that's a wonderful story that is incredible yeah is, is that something but and maybe the same thing here you know if you had a craving for blueberries or or whatever i mean it, it's you know the lord knows do you need help with your heart Right, you had open heart surgery, and you're probably cleaner than the rest of us because it's all cleaned out. But uh, well, blueberries why help. Do I, why do I crave pizza? <laughs> I, you know, when you said, "Do you know what you know what it is that's good for your heart?" I was going to say, "Well, I know what it isn't—a horseshoe." And that was one of our shows about eating a horseshoe. I know a horseshoe is not good for me. <laughs> your heart; it's delicious. But uh, uh, anyway, but blueberries—very good, very good on blueberries. So now 
our, you know, you know what comes next. We've got to figure out a connection to uh, some scriptural lessons from my blueberries, right? Yes, no doubt. So you know, you know, I I've been working on no that. doubt. I know, I know. <laughs> so, uh, but I was thinking about it that it seems to me that the blueberries are sort of like a family. As I was picking the ripe, big blueberries that are about the size of a large pea. When I was picking the wild ones years ago, they would have been the size of a half of a pea. They were really, really small, tart and nice, darker than these. But, okay, so as I'm picking them, I'm having to pick them out. I'm thinking, okay, there is a mature uh, blueberry that's giving him his life or her life in service to somebody else. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to be more healthy. But as I'm sitting there, I know these are crazy thoughts that went through my head as I'm picking, but you got to do something yeah. to keep your brain awake. I noticed that there were some little green ones. We had to pick the mature ones out so that the small green children blueberries could mature and go through their life cycle and be a help to people. And then I also noticed that there were a few berries on the plant, on the bushes, that were really very, very old and wrinkled. They weren't white like I am, but they were wrinkled blue. And that was a mature adult that had become a senior and somehow had never really given their life for what blueberries were intended to do. So, we as a Christian, when we first become a Christian, are like a babe in Christ. We're sort of green as far as it goes in Christianity and what to do and how to express our love. Then we are supposed to mature and we're supposed to share that love and that knowledge and that information and move right along and as a leader in the church or whatever you need to step back because the young green ones need to have a place to grow to be able to learn to serve and worship to do some of the jobs so we that are mature have to give our life in a sense and then there are a few that are really around a long time, and they're the old, wrinkled, wise one, and sort of tell you what you should or shouldn't do, or just say, my, you're working hard or doing a good job. That life cycle of the blueberry really is somewhat similar to the life cycle of a newborn Christian, because they say in First John, hello, children, children of God. We're just children when we first become in a relationship with God. Not necessarily chronologically, but as far as our relationships. Amazing. Just absolutely amazing where you're going. I always try to think, where are you going with it? Where are you going with it? And when you said, you know, that the, the blueberry needs to mature before it can be helpful, before it can help God and his plan. And the uh, and and the truth is it, we do too. You know, you a baby, 
you know, babies are very sweet and beautiful and cute and whatever. But other than bringing love, you know, a baby doesn't, you know, it, it's it's not capable. It's not yet capable of of helping other folks and uh, in in their lives. And you know, you can you know you can make an argument that it can, and and you know, it brings love, and that love brings. Uh, you know, people to, uh, to to mature and so forth. But, you know, l- let's face it, it's adults and it's us as uh, as growing Christians that we learn to uh, we, we learn to help the Lord uh, with everything. And, and, you know, to compare that to, you know, to fruit ripening and to to growing. You're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely well, you right. Know, you know, analogies can never be 100 uh, percent uh, simultaneous or overlapping. So you, you, you sort of have. To, so you're absolutely right. That doesn't say that babies are useless or or whatever. You know, they're they're anomalies. Now, there's another little point. It, these blueberries, we pick the first crop, but those blueberries just keep giving and giving that plant. That plant will give now for several weeks. We can come back on Wednesday. They open up the U pick again on Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. They give them time to mature, but they keep producing. I can't give up producing just because I sang one, <clears throat> one solo at church or I invited one person to come uh, to a Bible study or I held the hand of someone who was in grief over the loss of someone and said, but God cares. You can't stop in just one act of service. It's a life of continual love and giving, just like our little old blueberry bushes. So that's my lessons for today on blueberries. And if people read my ransom notes each week, if the Lord is willing and I keep on target, Next week's ransom notes that I send out to anybody who sends me an email that they want them, it's going to be on the life of the blueberry plant. Wow. Very good. <laughs> that is terrific. How you do it, God only knows. And uh, it's just wonderful. You're, you're, so do you know anything about the Civil War, my friend? Yeah, I, I, I think I do. I know quite a bit about the Civil War, I, I, if, I don't, if I do say so myself. Well, good for you. So if you were to tell me one, just one interesting fact with our audience about the Civil War, what what might be an interesting fact would pop into your head besides the fact that Lincoln was sort of a part of that? Yeah, well, Lincoln was our greatest president, of course, and he's from Springfield. And, and if it wasn't for Lincoln, there wouldn't have been uh, the emancipation of, of slavery and all that. But here, here's my, I'm going to give you my favorite little story and hopefully I've, I haven't said this before but it was about and, and, and I always talk about this as decision and it, it has to do with Custer who of course became famous uh, at Little Big, Bighorn for getting demolished by the Indians and, and slaughtered and everything else there but before that he was a Civil War general he was a 23 year old brigadier general and he went to West Point and they needed you know every man they can get a man and, and boy they can get and uh, and he was uh, he was at the back of the line, and there was a general named McClellan who was very, very indecisive, and he was uh, a, you know terrible general. He uh, he you know was number one in his class, and West Point, and, and Lincoln he drove Lincoln crazy because he wouldn't he wouldn't make decisions, he wouldn't fight, he wouldn't do whatever. So 
there was a long delay, and Custer from the back of the line, uh, after hours of waiting, he rode up to the front and he saw McClellan talking to his other generals, and they all said, um, they were all sitting there talking, and, and Custer, you know, young 23-year-old brigadier general, said, generals, can I ask you what the what the issue is? And they said, well, we're, tr we're trying to figure out how deep the water is that we're stopped at here, how deep uh, the water is at its deepest point. And uh, Custer was flabbergasted, and he took his horse, and he rode full steam ahead right into the middle of the river. And the, the river high point, and came up to the horse's neck, and he came back, and everybody's looking at him like, uh, what did he do? <laughs> what's he doing? He comes up to the generals, and he says, generals, it's this deep. It's this deep, general. And uh, I always, I always love that story uh, because you know it's like you have a hundred thousand troops just waiting. I'm sure any uh, buck private would have loved to just, you know, jump into the middle of the uh, the river and do the same so they could move on. But it, it was decision. So anyway, that's that's well, my yeah, quick. But you know that that is great because we think today that all problems have to be solved with such uh, fantastic. Uh, electronics or other kinds of instruments and he just used the natural horse and then he could say it's so many hands high is how i might have responded right. but obviously he modeled for them that uh, if my horse could get through unless you've got pinto ponies <laughs> uh, your horses probably could get through yes right so uh, i i love that story i don't know if you like it but i, I love that well, story I was reading something the other day. I, I'm not a history buff, but I'm not anti-history. And so occasionally things pass my eyes about the Battle of Gettysburg. And apparently after the, and as I understand it, that was a pretty big battle. Yep. And you're the historian, but it was an important battle because mm. I'd at least heard of it. So it had to be pretty good or bad, I guess would be a better word. And after the battle, people, uh, I guess, went in and, Sort of an, they apparently in those days fought with uh, single shot muzzle loading rifles. Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to a non gun person, but it, I, I sort of think of one of those guns that has that great big end at the middle and you have to jam um, a powder into it for each shot, before, yep. you know, between each shot. I think is sort of, if I'm sort of correct. Well, they, they went in. After the battle, after all those people had been killed and others had fled, and they found 25,574 guns were recovered. Wow. Okay? So, so some of them had dropped them and so forth. The interesting thing, Frank, is that <clears throat> of those 25,000-plus guns, 24,000 still were loaded. Oh, my god! They gosh. hadn't even shot them at the enemy and half of the 24,000 had more than one shot jammed into the uh, muzzle of the gun meaning that you only do one shot shoot, reload, shoot, reload they had been so off and afraid or nervous or scared or what that they would load and reload and not even bother to shoot. And one guy had apparently loaded his gun 23 different times, never shooting it at all. Wow. They loaded their gun, 
they put in the powder and they forgot to share it. They forgot to shoot it. The confusion, the fire, the everybody running every direction. When you had a problem, they didn't know what to do. Wow. So I thought that's a really interesting yeah. story. And I thought, you know, sometimes we as Christians, when things really get tough, when maybe we've had a death in the family, maybe when we had family that are in the apartment house in Miami that fell down or the part of it that fell down, when you lost a job during the virus, when income is not coming in, when a loved one is having serious, serious surgery, when we need to really have our faith, when we need to have our spiritual gun loaded, we forget to shoot the word of God off into our mind and to use it. We've taken in and loaded 1,800 sermons. We've listened to 2,000 different Bible school classes. We've read the Bible two times through from kiver to kiver. And then when you really get to walking on thin ice with real problems, you forget to go back to the source of the gun, of the rifle, of the ammunition, and to use it to build your faith, to remember that God loves you, that regardless of how you may be treated, in the end, God is going to take care of you. We have to, we have to try and remember that we can be parts of suffering and persecution. And we've got a friend. We have someone that will help us even more than those guns that the Civil War soldiers forgot to use. Wow. Wow. I, I, again, just wow. You have a knack like I've never seen anyone before. And I've met thousands and thousands of people who used to own night, nightclubs. I don't know anyone who could take a, a, get a message out of a story and and go in a direction like you do and it's always positive and it's always beautiful what a what a beautiful what a beautiful way to come out of it and you're not thinking gun you know i'm thinking guns okay what's this civil war it's what what honestly Catherine, you are terrific you are terrific well, you know several times in the scriptures it talks about christians are supposed to be soldiers and we're supposed to wear wow. our armor and we're supposed to be prepared and so i think the analogy between uh the, the the soldier at the battle of gettysburg and our life and i know just from the the time that we've known each other that you've had some challenging battles in your well you talked about your eyes today and and, and right that wasn't uh, uh, that had to be a challenge to your faith. I, I couldn't lay on my stomach for for six weeks. Uh, I, I mean, I would I, I would be a banana. I would be a rotten banana by the end of the time uh, because I, I just I don't know what I, in the wide world I would have done. That was a challenge, and that's when you have to draw on your faith. Every single one of our listeners has had some kind of major challenge because. 
We know just through the natural processes of life, as well as we know that Satan is here living today, working against the Lord, and he causes problems in our life. And that's when we have to be prepared, when we put on the full armor of God, uh, where we have the, the our faith and our love and all of that. So that's the story. That's our Civil War story for the day. Amazing. Just absolutely amazing. And I didn't know that story. And uh, I, I love that. Just uh, absolutely great. You know, it, it's interesting you say about, uh, you know, in the Bible, they talk about being a soldier. You don't think of Jesus as being a soldier. You, you think, you know, look, you think about compassion when you think of Jesus or you think of, uh, and that's something we were talking about a little, and I know you're going to talk about here, but uh, you think about, when I think about Jesus anyway, I think about love. I think about understanding. I, I think about learning. He taught us. He was a, the great teacher and, and still is the great teacher for us, the you know, the father, he's, you know, uh, the father to all of us. And, uh, and you know, God is, is the, you consider him the big father and his son was sent down here. But now, now the Lord, now when you say the Lord, that's, it's Jesus we're talking about. And, uh, you know, he taught us and he, uh, and, and continues to do so. I, I think every day I, I learn something and, you know, they had those bracelets uh, out there. What would Jesus do? Right. What would you, you, you remember them? You, oh, yes. That that was pretty prominent in the days when I suppose I was in my teens and my mom had always said that. What would Jesus do? And and you there were bumper stickers. And uh, uh, and I think we have to remember. And certainly, uh, Frank, your your image of Christ being the good shepherd and being kind and loving and uh, and all of that is absolutely true. But he, as all humans, because he was being God in a human form during his time on earth, as all people, there's also a piece that even in Jesus, when he got frustrated and mad, if you remember the story, he, he went into the temple. They were not doing things in the temple uh, foyer, uh, outside money of the building. The money changes. And, and and he, you know, and he got angry and he turned the tables upside down. You know, we don't think of that, but it was because he loved what he was standing for. And they were in conflict to that. You're taking uh, where people were worshiping the Lord. Uh, he still hadn't paid the ultimate sacrifice. So it was Jewish people uh, worshiping at that time, doing exactly what they should be doing. And yet this group of people who were out there in the uh, courtyard were certainly not being very uh, godlike. So he got angry about it. He had some other experiences, as we read in, in the New Testament, of when he let the, uh, the strong backbone of him uh, shine through, as uh, I suspect, in a sense, when he talked to Peter, uh, when Peter is sort of... Uh, sinking wanting to walk on the water but uh, even though he was kind i'm sure his voice was firm at that time peter you know where is your faith kind of thing so we do have to have both the these uh the soft side the loving side the the caring side but we also have to be uh know that the enemy satan is out there 
And if we are not strong and we do not have our powder dry, we will not be able to fight him off at times when he wants to tempt us. And believe me, he can be pretty subtle about it. But we've mentioned the word compassion a couple of times. That's a big, long word. If I, I, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word compassion. But the other day, I saw an ad in our newspaper. And later, I saw a billboard with the same words. I'm gonna read the ad or the wording in the ad and on the billboard, okay? Please. And then I want to ask you a question. Yes. The ad went like this. You can't teach compassion. Our people make a difference. Now this was an ad for a senior citizen living area. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know much more about it other than that it was where seniors could go uh, and live. I'm assuming at all degrees of uh, seniority, being some healthy, some not. But the words that caught my mind, I, you can't teach compassion. Is that true? Can we not teach compassion? I, I think we can. Um, I... You know, when I think of, of compassion, I, I think of Christ immediately when I think. And, and you know, you mentioned the story. I, I think that's uh, the story of the, the money changers and uh, in the temple. And they were, uh, you know, they were, you know, he thought taking advantage and it was about money and everything else. And, you know, I, I always saw that as strength from Christ when he did that. He was uh, he was angry. Yes. And I, I didn't see that as a weakness, let's say. But I always think of Christ as, as uh, compassion. Uh, you know, almost synonymous when you when you think of what would Jesus do. I always think compassion. You know, like he would be compassionate towards this one. You know, uh, turn the other cheek, and love uh, love thy thy neighbor like you love thyself. Love your enemy, and and all of that. I, I think you can teach compassion, but uh, there is a there is. There are times you you could find people that are easier to to become more compassionate, and there's some that aren't. I heard a great definition of evil, and 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 I've always taken it as the best definition of evil. And I think it was Time Magazine. And they were talking about I think the Oklahoma bombing, and and I think they they said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but they said that evil is a void where compassion should be. So, oh. yeah, well, I thought that was very good. Uh, avoid where compassion should be. So if someone is evil, and, and I, I like to think there's not that many evil. There are. Obviously, there are evil people, uh, Hitler and uh, Stalin and people like that. I mean, there were some terribly evil people and the terrorists and people who do things like that. But those people, I don't think you can teach compassion to. But I think you could bring up a, a child and, and teach that child how to to be uh, empathetic, sympathetic, and and compassionate. And so, yeah, I think you can. I think you could teach. So Frank, more. you had some kids. Four. Okay. Did did you teach them compassion, or did you model compassion? And is that one and the same? Well, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. I mean, one. One of the things, and I think I've said this before, I used to always say to my kids, who, you know, every day I'd say, how'd school go? And they'd say, great. I, I'd say, who did you eat lunch with today? 
and they would say, oh, the huge, you know, the usual, they'd say the huge, or, or something else. But I'd say, were, were there any, did you notice if there were any kids around that, that didn't have anybody to sit with? And they would say, well, you know, uh, maybe there's this one. Yeah, well, that's who you, you know, you sound like you have a lot of nice friends and it's great. But, uh, you know, we want to we want to make sure that the other kids who are new or maybe they just have a hard time making friends. And, you know, if you can bring them into your group and see who you think they would get along with best in your group and bring them in. And I remember going to my daughter and she's our youngest, just graduated high school the other day. And uh, and I remember when I was in uh, the, when she was in uh, the the middle school in sixth grade, the uh, I, we brought her a pizza and some of her friends some um, ice cream for for her birthday, and the, the lunch ladies all came over to me and they said your daughter is wonderful. She rounds up all the kids that are lonely and she brings them to her group, and that's why her group is so gigantic. These are, it's a group made of lonely ch lonely children and now they're not lonely anymore and they're you know whatever and they just say oh Kayla's wonderful and all this so I think we we I don't know is that modeling or is that teaching because I think that well yeah. I I don't and, and and I think they sort of slop over uh, but I I certainly think that modeling has to be a part if you were all angry aggressive uh kicking people in the shins uh cheating them on their taxes and on what you did to them, uh, bad-mouthing them, and then you said to your children, uh, I, I want to make sure you're compassionate. I, I, that would be certainly not a very, uh, you certainly were not modeling right. them what you wanted them to try to do. But I think you did do one ask, and I, I'm no expert on this, so I'm. it's just an old lady sort of thinking, but you did one thing that I think was essential as you described what your children tended to do, which certainly was an act of compassion and caring, at least. And people will have a different definition of compassion. But the thing I liked is you said to them what you wish they might do. You didn't make them. You said, I wish you would look around in the cafeteria and spot someone who maybe is lonely or not in the cafeteria or who needs a friend. So you, you you suggested an action. I think that is part of teaching people how to be compassionate. I think you also have to share and point out, by the way, did you see how nice that young lady was to the older woman who spilled all her groceries on the ground? They quick, She quickly came in and helped rebag them for her. You know, she was sort of, and you use the term, she was sort of compassionate. She cared about them. She did a nice thing for them because some kids, you know that, hon? Some kids would probably say, oh boy, there is a large orange. I'm gonna sweep, swoop in there and I'm gonna grab it and I'm gonna run and on the way I'm gonna stomp her eggs that were in the container there just to prove that I'm a good kid and I, and that would be the opposite of compassion. So you model, you give them some suggestions, you give them hints on how to do it, and you keep your eyeballs out for examples. Now, let's take Christ, and it seemed just as I was thinking, I thought of at least four sort of kinds of examples of compassion. One 
while he was teaching and preaching, he one day he noticed that they had been there a long time, this group of 5,000 men plus women and children, and Big Boy and Hamburger McDonald did not come by with their truck. <laughs> yeah. He knew they were hungry. And he says, we need to feed this group. So he identified a problem. He said to his leader, his team, see if you can't find food to feed these people who are hungry. He told his, his followers what to do. So he's helping them be compassionate. And they go out and find the little kid with the lunch. And then the Lord does his part of it. It was a team effort. Number two, he also, when one time, he, he found, often, I shouldn't say one time, he often found people who were ill, crippled uh, at the pool and needed to be healed, uh, whatever, several times. He would recognize, just as you were telling your kids, that they needed to watch for lonely kids. He was watching for people who had a health issue. I mean, that's not the only thing he was watching for, but we're using that as the example at the moment. And then he would do something, but it took that recognition that, A, somebody needs help. Somebody is in pain. I have something I can offer. I can't find someone in pain and immediately say, be healed. He took the skills he had. But I can find someone who is ill, and I can have compassion, and maybe it's I need to take food to them because they happen to be the chef in the family and the kids are hungry. It might be that I can say, I will come by and pick you up on Sunday morning and get you to worship service because I know with the cast on your leg, you're not going to be able to drive. I identify a problem look at my own skills and try to match those up and then that is a over demonstration of someone trying to be compassionate and helpful to someone that has a need i can't do what he did it's a third example when lazarus was dead and mary and martha want him to they almost chew him out because he was so late in coming to help he did it on his own time schedule, but he even used the maximum of skills that he had in ability and power and raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, I don't think, Frank, that you can go out and raise a friend from the dead, but you can be compassionate with the friend that died and their family and share compassion. So compassion is sort of a complex thing isn't it and we've gotten awfully scholarly here at the last yeah. minute but that's no it's important and just that's, that's wonderful really uh it, it's it is just wonderful and any time still even after this discussion and after looking at it differently whenever i hear the word compassion i think of christ i don't know i don't know why when somebody says compassion I, I think of Christ almost like, you know, like I'm reminding myself, what would Christ do? What would Jesus do? And uh, I, I don't know. It's just it, it, it just keeps coming back to that. But you are you are right on. That is just absolutely just fantastic. This, this is the most 
I've ever discussed or heard discussion of uh, on compassion, and it's so important. And and I know, look, I know people talk about it in church, and they they go into it, but you know, it's usually cliched. It's usually and it's not analyzed. Certainly, the way you you analyze things so much differently than than I do and other people do. It's just it it's just I don't know. It's just wonderful, wonderful what you do. Uh, uh, what can you say? Uh, you know, uh, you, you know what I always want to ask you, and even on this, uh, you know, in everything that we've just talked about, blueberries and 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 uh, civil war and compassion. I mean, three three different uh, angles to go uh, to get to a point. You know, to get to a point, and, and the point is always positive and it's always Christian based and so forth. How much different are things when you start thinking about them? Than when you ultimately end up getting there. For example, you know, go go back to the compassion thought. I mean, when you first said, "Let's discuss compassion," and you said to yourself, "I'm not right about compassion. I'm going to do a ransom notes on compassion." How much different is this? How it came out, which is just beautiful and just you know, like you said, scholarly, but it's just lovely. How much different is it than you thought it would have been from the beginning? Well, it. it I have this curious nature, I have to admit. So when I see something that tickles my imagination or causes me to listen or look twice or more, uh, and I wonder, I wonder what they meant. And you know, that's really new. I haven't thought about that. Oh, wow, is that funny? Or I'm bored and I'm looking like I'm picking the blueberries, you know, and then I have to use my brain in some way. So, you know, it starts cogitating. And so that's how things come out. And at the moment when I when I first read the sign, uh, you can't teach compassion, and they made it as a bold statement, my mind always says, you can't? Right. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Now, what I write, when I write this piece, will be somewhat different than our conversation because we sort of had a dialogue, and I'm using you and your feedback to to build on your wonderful example of what you were trying to do with your children and then that makes my brain take detours and then I had notes here that there were some examples I wanted to use so before we talked here I've thought about it but it as we visited it my my mind went some new detours and directions and amplified and now when I go back perhaps to rewrite this piece, I'll probably have some new thinking. You know, when, when you're really thinking about a broad topic like compassion, you could probably write a, you know, a, a 40, 50 page book on it. And we're, you know, we're taking 10 minutes to talk about it. So, you know, we're just skimming the surface. But it's, it's just fun to think out loud with people. I just want to get people to, 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 to be alert to care about learning, to be inquisitive. That's what God gave us this brain for, not to just be a blob. And uh, I just I just want to show that you can make learning exciting and it doesn't have to be esoteric. It doesn't have to be deep. You can just make everyday connections that can just be sort of fun. Amazing. Just absolutely amazing, as always. Uh, do you have any other thoughts, or is, is this where we end for the day? 
Oh, yes, I do. I have one. You remember, I think I said last week I found this list of 12 commandments. Yes. And we will never do all of them. But I have one to share with us today, okay? Yep. Um, do you have, I'll ask you a question first. Do you ever get angry? Yeah, oh, sure. I, I have. Yeah, okay. I, I have a gene. Right. Yep. Yeah, well, I, I, it's, which one of us has it, okay? <laughs> this is your commandment then. We don't need anger management. We need people to stop irritating us. <laughs> don't you think that would be a nice? Yes. So the next time that the driver in front of me spends more than two seconds after the light changes <laughs> to green, if he would stop doing that, I wouldn't get angry. <laughs> it's his fault. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That's my serious. That's my serious ending for the yeah. day. It's been fun. <laughs> You're the best. And everyone out there, you can see, you will be able to see right this week, this uh, today, tomorrow, uh, on YouTube, Catherine Ransom's uh, debut of the documentary. And we're going to blast it out. And you can see it on YouTube. And you will be able to see it on Vimeo. And we're going to add it. We've decided we're going to add it to every outlet we possibly can. And we'll give you a list as we go along. But it is a wonderful, wonderful discussion with a lovely lady. She's the author of Ransom Notes. And she is the, the author of this podcast slash radio show. And uh, she is just, she's wonderful. Wonderful. Frank McKay, thanking everyone for tuning in each and every week. We know you have a lot of options. But look for the documentary. And we'll be letting you know all the different outlets that it's on. We'll see you next time on Ransom Notes.